This is Albania, almost 6,000 miles away, and home to mountains, the Adriatic, and beautiful people. We spent our time in the seaside city of Vlora, meeting with a group of 23 Albanian students, teaching English, building relationships, sharing culture, and dancing. Lots and lots of dancing. And doing it all so that they might come to know him. After over 22 hours of travel from Wichita to Dallas, Dallas to London, we finally made it to Albania. We had a wonderful meal in the capital city of Tirana and then drove two hours to arrive in the city of Laura late at night. We were exhausted and ready for some good rest. We woke up the first morning in Flora to a beautiful view of the Adriatic that we didn't get to see coming in. After a breakfast and a quick prayer time, we had an opportunity to have orientation and some training that was led by the crew staff there in Albania. Later that day, we had the wonderful privilege of being able to meet with the 23 students we'd be working with the rest of the week. But before we could teach them English, we had to evaluate their level of knowledge so that we could place them in the right groups. That was quite an experience. That night we gathered again together to have an opportunity to have some icebreakers and just get to know the students a little bit better. And of course, at the end of the night, We opened up our morning with a time of worship and a prayer, and then we jumped right into teaching English for the next three hours. Let's just say that for most of us, we realized very quickly that English was not our thing. But nonetheless, the students just wanted to hear and speak English. After lunch, we spent time playing games and going to the beach and just trying to get to know one another. In the evening of the second day, we had the opportunity to gather together for kind of our first spiritual discussion. And then the Albanians treated us to Albanian night where they taught us about their culture, Albania, and some of their favorite customs. By day two, God was already allowing us to form some great relationships, and we were already beginning to see some seeds planted. Well, that's just two days. We were there for many more than that, but uh, wanted to just start off giving you a couple of days there uh, to give you a sense and a little bit of an idea of what we got to experience during our time. Um, hopefully, we'll put together another video to kind of show you what we got to do over the, the, the following days there in Albania. But I can just tell you, uh, it was a phenomenal experience. It was a wonderful opportunity, and uh, it was actually our second trip to Albania. If you remember, um, just a few weeks prior to that, we had another team that had been there, and they were working with young professionals. And so uh, we got to see the Lord do some great work in that space and in that country through not only in us as, as believers and as brothers and sisters in Christ, but also uh, there in the lives of people. And, and I wanted to show the video because I wanted you to see just kind of physically and get the idea of what it would be like and what it is like in an experience like that and what the people are like. Because I wanted to uh, share that, but not just share that. I wanted to share some other specific things as I was thinking about how could we come back and, and share our hearts and some of the things that God did in us. Uh, it was just interesting as I was praying about that and I was thinking there were some very specific things that I feel like I personally learned, or maybe learned isn't the right word, maybe relearned is a better uh, word for that, uh, that I really wanted to bring back and to share uh, with you this morning. And, and my prayer is 
that as we step out of the sermon series on the parables, and as I share these things, and as I give them to you, that it would stir you up to good works that God has called you to. That it would challenge your heart in some of the same ways that it challenged my heart, even bringing some conviction into my life. Um, But also that we could just testify to the work that God has done. Amen? Like we, we pray for teams that go out, but oftentimes we forget to come back and thank God for the work that he did uh, when we were there. And God did a lot of work while we were there in Albania. So let me pray real quick, and then uh, we'll jump into our time together. Father, I thank you for uh, this morning. And thank you for the opportunity to just praise you, to worship you. Thank you for the opportunity to celebrate baptism this morning. Uh, Just such a neat reminder of the new life that you offer to all of us. Father, thank you for the opportunity to take communion this morning and and to do that with brothers and sisters all across the world, as we said, and to be reminded that we're not alone, that we are a part of something huge that you have been doing for millennia. But now, Lord, as we take this opportunity and as we seek to bring you glory through looking at your word and testifying to the work that you have done. Father, I pray that you would speak through me. Father, we need your spirit. I need your spirit to work in in my heart and each of our hearts as we look at these things. And our desire is that every time we gather together, that we walk away a little bit more conformed into the image of your son. Because that's the goal. That's our desire. That's who we want to be. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would accomplish that by a work of your spirit in us this morning. Uh, But, Father, pray, too, that you would definitely speak through a a weak vessel in myself um, and help us always to be reminded that our experiences that we have are gifts that you give us. Um, But, Father, we're ultimately anchored to your word. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would just bless our time together this morning. And I just ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So as many of you know, I've had the privilege to uh, travel uh, a lot of different places around the world. And one of the first things that I wanted to share with you this morning was something that always strikes me when I get to go to a different place. And yet oftentimes it's just interesting that I I tend to forget this thing very, very quickly when I come back home. Uh, But when I got to Albania, just even within the first day, I saw this thing and I saw and was reminded again, once again of this as I watched students and I watched them as they were engaging and interacting with one another. I watched them as they were engaging with the world around them, the technologies around them, as they were engaging with the idea of, uh, of even capitalism as it's come into Albania. Albania. I had been in Albania uh, about 15 years ago, and to see the changes in the country uh, is absolutely staggering, to see how quickly this, the capitalism in the West has moved in. But, but here's the first thing that I had brought to my mind, and the first thing that I thought of, and I thought about it throughout the time, but it was this, that whether you're in Albania or whether you're in Wichita, Kansas, in the United States, is the same carrots and the same flesh. Now, some of you know the analogy of, of the whole idea of the carrot and the stick. Uh, so those of you who don't know, it's the idea that if you want to get like a donkey to move, you hang a carrot in front of them and they chase the carrot or a rabbit or something of that nature. You see it in other places. Like if you look at greyhounds that are racing, they always put like a rabbit for them to chase around. Like this is the idea for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about when I say the same carrot. Uh, the, it's the same carrot that dangles in front of us all and the same flesh that is our in us all, regardless of where we are, right? We feel that. We see it. It's easy to forget that there are spiritual forces at play behind the things that we experience in our world, behind the things that we experience in our own lives. And Satan, Satan knows exactly what he is doing. He knows the weaknesses of our flesh, doesn't he? 
He knows how to tempt those weaknesses. And they aren't any different in Albania than they are right here in our lives sitting in this room. Pride, vanity, materialism, distraction, lusts, fears, doubts, questions about who God is, humanistic ideas like evolution, all that stuff is in Albania just like it's here. You give people unlimited access to the internet there, things like Instagram, TikTok, and social media, and the exact same things happen to a person that they do to us. You put beauty and skin on every magazine cover and every store. You put it in every advertisement, on any, in every sports uh, event. You put that beauty and skin in front of us it, it, in every turn that we have, whether it's on Netflix or on our TV shows, and you're going to find the same kind of lusts that you find here. You're going find to find the same kinds of feelings of inadequacies that you find here. You give people access to every product under the sun, via something like Amazon, and the reaction is going to be the same there as it is here. It's all because of the reality that we have. It's reality that's expressed to us in Scripture. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. No temptation, no testing has overtaken you that is not common to man. So before I read the rest of that text, just they can keep it up there so you can look at it. Nothing you're experiencing right now, whether it's a temptation of sin in your life or a testing within your life, a testing of poverty, a testing of wealth, a testing of suffering, whatever it is that what you're experiencing right now is, is common to everyone around this world. Whether you're in India, the people we just prayed for, or right here, there's no temptation that has overtaken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted or tested beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure under it. Like this is the promise of God. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy, but what it means is in the midst of that temptation and that testing, the same testing that we all experience, God is faithful to his people. He's faithful to his people in Africa and to us if we watch for and look for his way to help us out of that. This is a reminder of a, of a clear picture of truth in our lives. Read this text, James chapter 1, verse 14. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? His own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, it brings forth death. This is true for every single one of us. And it's easy at times to think about the spiritual realities around us and to blame the enemy about it, but, but here's the thing. Even if the enemy sticks the carrot in front of us, it's our flesh, our desires that entice us to chase the carrot. It's our fault. It's our responsibility. Just take social media, for example. And this isn't a sermon about the bad things about social media, but is it not true that with that reality, we can easily get sucked in to the social media vortex, can't we? Many of you know, we can be tempted, and it doesn't matter how old you are. Some of us adults are just as guilty as our kids, although it's really easy to look at our kids on Instagram, right? And, and, and see the dangers and yet miss the dangers that we're struggling with right now in our own lives. But what we do is we're tempted to scroll through hours or through hours, minutes, post after post of pictures of perfect lives, 
perfect bodies, perfect experiences, perfect vacations, perfect homes, perfect meals. And what does that do in us? It stirs in us discontentment with how we look, with how our houses look, with the decorations we have in our homes, with the food we put at our plate, with the vacation you could afford in your home, with how you look in your life. Sorry. But that's the reality of it. Satan knows what he's doing. And we wonder why we have so much struggle at times resisting temptation is because he knows how to leverage our flesh. He knows that if he sticks the right care in front of us, our sinful nature is going to tend to just entice us to react in very similar ways, whether you're right here or whether you're in Albania. And as I watched these kids that range from the age of 14 up to 20, it was amazing. If you took away the language, it looked like I was watching kids right here in the United States. It looked like I was watching kids in France. It looked like I was watching kids in any other part of the world because it's the same carrots that the enemy is using. And some might say, well, oh, that's just because we're all coming from the same evolutionary process. No, no, I don't believe that. I believe it's because there is an enemy who knows what he's doing. And I believe we all have a flesh that is common and a nature that is common and is always going to bend towards the same sins if we stick the same things in front of ourselves. So considering this, I want to just point to a couple of scriptural reminders for us that I think is important as the body of Christ. And as I come out of Albania, just things that I think are important, even for me to be reminded of. If it's true that there is no temptation that you're experiencing right now in this room that is not common to everyone else, here's what you can be reminded of. You are not alone in your struggle. You're not alone in your struggle. I don't know what it is. I don't know how bad you think it is, but the truth of the scripture says you are not alone in your struggle. It may feel like it. It may feel like everybody else has life put together. It may feel like everybody else is perfect. You may feel like nobody would think the thought that you thought this week, or think the thought that you thought this morning, or say the things that you're tempted to say in the right circumstances. Listen, what I'm telling you is that is a lie of the enemy to keep you secluded on an island thinking you're worse than everybody else when in reality, you're just like everybody else. We are all the same. And we need to be encouraged to know that you and I, we're not alone in our struggles. And so as you're struggling with even questions, and, and again, those temptations and doubts, they're not all about sins. It could be something like getting that phone call about cancer in your family and going like, I'm starting to doubt or I'm starting to wonder where God is. Even as you're facing that temptation, that thought is not unique to you. Another brother and sister that had that same phone call is going to potentially have that same feeling. And so it's an opportunity for us as the people of God to be honest with that and support one another and carry one another's burdens and pray for one another because we are not alone in our struggles. Oh, we need to know that. I wish we could all remember that. It's worldwide. The same loneliness you feel is felt in those kids in Albania. The same inadequacies that you feel is felt in those kids in Albania. The same doubts you have towards God, they're the same doubts that those kids in Albania have. Same envies, the same discontentments. It's all the same. It's all the same. You are not alone in your struggle. The second thing is this. It's hard to resist these things because it's a carrot. 
Now, what in the world do I mean by that? I mean this. It looks good. It tastes good. It fills up your stomach. Like it, it, it's that way for a reason. I love this image. And just keep this image up while we're talking about this. Because as you look at this weird looking creature, the donkey or whatever it is, like why is he chasing the carrot? Because he knows it tastes good. Because he knows he's hungry and he wants it. And it looks desirable. It looks like it's wonderful. And looks like, man, I, I just want that carrot. If you stuck, uh, I don't know, a carrot in front of a wolf, the, carrot, the wolf wouldn't chase the carrot because he doesn't like carrots. There's a reason why temptation to sin is so hard for us because our flesh loves it. The reason you struggle with sin, the reason you struggle with doubts, it's real because that thing often looks pleasing to your flesh. Scripture says in Judges says that, that men did what was right in their own eyes in those days. We do these things because we think it's what's right. I think so often within the church, one of the mistakes that we make is that we fail to acknowledge that sin promises life. Sin promises all kinds of things. Sin promises to fill you, to satisfy you, to feel good. And I can remember even in high school, and maybe I've said this before, but growing up in a Christian home, in a Christian school, tell, being told all these things about sin and how bad it was and how terrible it was going to be on your life if you engaged it. And I remember my friends, some of them, going to college and tasting, for example, alcohol for the first time and going like, wait a minute, this is actually pretty fun. This is pretty awesome. And all those things that they told me, none of them happened. And so suddenly they start realizing, well, maybe none of this is right. and Maybe none of this is true. And so they started to go down into the spiral. And here's the other part of it. Isn't it true that the first carrot may taste fantastic, but the first carrot always leads to another carrot? And then the second carrot always leads to a third carrot. And on and on and on it goes. Listen, to prove the point, nobody wakes up one morning feeling good, feeling healthy, having a good job and goes, you know what would be a good thing for me to do today? To go engage in some meth. Anybody do that? Like anybody just wake up one morning and be like, you know what I think I'm going to do today? I'm going to go find some heroin for myself. Nobody does that. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what I think I'm going to do today? Today's a good day to cheat on my spouse. Today's a good day for me to spend a whole bunch of time engaging in alcoholism and getting drunk. Nobody does that. It's because what happens and what the enemy does is he, he tempts us. He puts something in front of us that looks so good and we take it and it does feel good in a moment, but it leads to the next thing. And we have to keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going. Oh man, I wish we could remember this because it would help us to be watchful in the early stages of what the enemy is doing. Not wait until our lives are destroyed. Not wait until the consequences have come. I think so many people find themselves wondering why they're struggling so much and they don't see all of the times that they've given way to the fleshly desires within them. So many of us, for example, we live in so much anxious discontentment. Is it possible that it's because we spend our entire lives wishing we were somewhere else? 
We spend our entire lives looking at someone else's experiences instead of being present in the moment in which we're in. Is it possible that for some of us, like that some of that anxiety is built in us because we're so busy taking our pictures of ourselves in that moment that we fail to be in the moment? And listen, in no way, shape, or form am I saying that all anxiety is built on this. Not the case. But I think some is. See, the enemy has a purpose. And he's trying to do things. And these carrots that are before us all over our society, all over the Albanian society, all over the societies in Kenya or India, those carrots are literally tailor-made to lead us and to entice our flesh. And we need to be reminded of it. Which leads me to the next point. We need to be reminded that there is somebody holding the stick. There's somebody holding the stick. And watching those kids in Albania, it was like a veil was being lifted over my eyes and I saw this, this eerily similar thing. It's almost like there was a will and intent behind those temptations. And there is. Our battle is not simply against flesh and blood. I mean, sure, there is the component behind us that we all have a sinful nature in us, those enticing desires that are within us that we must fight. But the scripture is clear. Our battle is not only against flesh and blood, but it is also against the spiritual realm. The enemy knows what he is doing. While we are responsible for our sin for sure, it is clear that he is prowling and he is seeking to devour you He's seeking to devour me, and he's seeking to devour those kids in Albania. He's seeking to devour those people in India. He is seeking to devour. And we need to recognize who is holding the stick and who is putting that carrot before us and what it is that he is actually trying to lead us to, and we need to fight back. Brothers and sisters, the world that is around us isn't benign. It's not benign. All this stuff is being given and, and put into our faces to try to lead us into places. And I'm not saying that everything is inherently evil by any stretch of the imagination. But I am saying we need to be reminded that nothing is benign. Everything is going to form us in some way, either negatively or positively. And there is an enemy behind us and behind your life and the things that are going on in your life seeking to form you away from Christ, not towards him. But even in that, even knowing that you're not alone in your struggle, understanding why it's hard for us to avoid these temptations, understanding that there's someone holding the stick, brothers and sisters, we also need to be reminded that Jesus will battle with us. Jesus came to free us from the carrot and the stick and the one holding the stick. Jesus hates our sin, but Jesus hates it so much that he goes to battle with us in the midst of our sin. So that thing that you're struggling with, those fears, those doubts, those lusts, those envies, those discontentment, the contentments, Jesus doesn't just look at you and point his finger at you. He wants to enter into the fight with you and be a refuge and strength for you. And Jesus promises to battle with us. That's why he came. And the freedom that we have, the good news, the gospel, and it's such an important thing that he has come to not only free us from the consequences of our sins, he's come to free us from sin itself. What a glorious truth that is. 
And so my encouragement to you right now, this morning, for those of you in this room who are realizing like you're struggling and you felt all alone, you are never alone if you are with Jesus. He is for you, not against you. Which he is for you in your battle against pornography. He is for you in your battle against pride. He is for you in your battle against anger. He is for you in your, your battle against vanity. He's for you and with you as you fight. So fight. Fight with him. He has given his spirit within you. Now what a beautiful thing that is for us. The next kind of big point that I took away from Albania was this. Relationship trumps everything. As we ministered to these kids, it was easy to feel like the first couple of days was a little bit of a waste of time. Like after all, we flew all that way to get to know and to, to t- tell them the gospel. And for the first few days, there wasn't a lot of gospel. There was a lot of games and there was a lot of dancing lot of dancing. I said that in the video. There was so much dancing. And I'm not a dancer. Every night there was dancing. And they never got tired of the dancing um, over and over again. But there was hanging out at the beach and there was letting them teach us like Albanian card games and, and just playing. And it would be really easy to sit there and think there. Man, like, I'm wasting my time. Like, I'm here to share the gospel. And our other team that went, the first team, like they went and hung out with young professionals. And one of the testimonies uh, from Macy Smith was just talking about how uh, it was just coffee over and over again. Just coffee, more coffee. So it's like coffee and dancing. That's all you eat in Albania, right? Like coffee and dancing. So, but that's it. Like it just feels like, man, I'm wasting my time. Like let's just get to the gospel. But listen, it was because of all of that time. And because of the relationships that were built with these kids that we formed with, we grew to truly care about them. Spent so much time with them. I'll be honest with you, at the end of the time, and I told this to my daughter, like it feels like I've got a whole new group of kids that I've adopted in some respect. Like you just started to fall in love with these kids because you get to see them for who they are. But it's so important to remember, like it took intent It took time. It took proximity. It took us doing things that really, in a lot of ways, were uncomfortable for us, like dancing. And for some of us, just talking. It took really caring about them, intentionally asking them about their dreams and their hopes and who they are and talking about their families and what they want to do with their lives and their fears and all of these different things that they engage before we could ever get to asking them spiritual questions. But even when it came to asking spiritual questions, we had to intentionally do that. Listen, God absolutely can save through just one experience where you meet somebody at a restaurant after you go to church today. He absolutely can save someone through that as you share the gospel with them, maybe for the first time. But you know what? More often than not, it takes relationship. It takes time. It takes time. It takes time to know someone. It takes time to care for someone. This is really difficult in our culture. Where relationships so often, they're cheap and they're self-centered. They're self-serving. And they're hard to prioritize in our busy worlds. But for our own sake and for the gospel, we must take the time to build relationships. 
We need to be creative to find ways to start building and, and, and engaging in relationships with those people that are around us, those people who don't know Jesus. Not to convert them, but to love them. And to help our eyes to be open to the darkness that they're walking in. And here's the thing. Knowing them will stir your compassion for them. It's interesting. As I was thinking about it, on July 22nd, when we arrived in Albania, I didn't know any of those kids. You saw the video of us in that room and we were doing the English, um, like the tests for the English. And we were trying to understand where they were. I didn't know any of that. I didn't know any of their names. I didn't know any of their stories. And if I'm really honest, like I cared about them, but I kind of didn't care. Like, I'm sure you've been there. Like, maybe that's just reflected of some wickedness in myself, probably the case. But nonetheless, by the time July 27th came, which was Friday, and I was being asked to share a gospel message to these kids, like, it wrecked me. Because I realized that some of these kids I'd never see again. And this may be the only chance they ever hear, have the opportunity to hear the very clear proclamation of the gospel. And I had grown to love them. And I so want to see those kids in heaven. And here's the thing. You see them and their faces. And that first day they were faces to me, but by the 27th, they were names. They were stories. I knew what they want. I knew to their hearts. I got to get to know them and just play with them and hang out. And I got to feel the sense of what Jesus must have felt when he looked over Jerusalem and wept over those people. Sharing that night, that night with the kids reminded me of the next thing. And it's this, that the gospel matters. Brothers and sisters, the gospel matters. There's nothing like sitting around a circle our group, we had the advanced English learners. So there was 11 of the kids in our group. They ranged from 20 to 15, I believe. These young women and men, like, they didn't know Christ. We had one Christian girl and one Catholic girl. Most of the rest of them, when you mentioned Adam and Eve, would just look at you like they had no idea what you were talking about because they didn't. When you said Jesus, they didn't know other than some maybe vague understanding that somebody named Jesus existed. They had no idea. Brothers and sisters, the gospel matters. And going to places where the gospel hasn't been matters. There are people right here in this city that we rub shoulders with, that would look at you with just as much confusion if you started talking about the death of Jesus as those kids in Albania did. The gospel matters. It matters so much. In fact, it's the only thing that matters for those outside of the body of Christ. And brothers and sisters, we have it. We have the gospel. You have the gospel in your hands, in your mind, in your hearts. You've got the good news. Don't take it for granted. Almost every single one of you woke up this morning and you went to your kitchen sinks and you turned on your faucet. And there you'd got, you could get out a glass of water and drink it and you didn't even think about it. I remember the first time I realized that that was something that was unique and I was in Haiti, and I saw a little boy drinking out of a pipe that was coming out of a building going into the sewage ditch. 
And suddenly I realized that that which I take so for granted for literally billions of other people, every time they take a drink, they don't know whether that's going to get them killed or not. We have something far more valuable than that. Something far more life-giving than water in the gospel. And we can take it for granted. Because there are people out there drinking from all kinds of sewer pipes. And they have no idea. They're drinking from the well of praise of men, or they're drinking from the well of materialism, or they're drinking from the well of their lusts and their addictions. They're drinking from all kinds of things, hoping to find peace, hoping to find salvation, hoping to find satisfaction, and they don't have it, and they'll never find it. What they'll find in those wells is death. But we have the gospel. The gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. Like All of us, we're beneficiaries of that, and the gospel matters. We need to be reminded of it. We have the most powerful thing in the universe right here before us. Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, how many of you have experienced the power of God in your life to salvation? I hope everyone in this room I'd be surprised if it's everyone in this room, but I hope it is. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. We can talk about and read about the power of God. We can sing songs about him splitting seas. But for those of us who were on that trip, and we were, we were privileged to see the power of God save at least two girls. I don't care how much you read about the power of God, seeing the power of God open the eyes of someone who doesn't know Jesus is a beautiful thing. And you say, well, just two? Isn't two enough? Didn't Jesus say he'd go for the one? And even that, like, how many of us would say that it wasn't just one experience with the gospel that led to salvation, but it's like many links within a chain. And one of the things we saw within our group, we had at least three boys that were declared atheists at the beginning of the week. When I say declared atheists, they were like staunch atheists. And at the time of us leaving, all of them were like, you know what? I think there might be a God. That is a huge praise. That is a massive link in what I pray to be the chain of salvation for those young men. Yes, so you may not get to amen, pray for that. But here's the thing, for all of you, you have the opportunity to meet people every single day where you might be another link in a chain of their salvation. You may never get to see them come to faith in Jesus Christ. And you know what? That's okay, just be faithful. Just be obedient. Because the gospel matters. Oh, it matters so much. Finally, I walked away being reminded that there is absolutely hope for the next generation. Now, I want to be really clear. I don't say that there's hope for the next generation. It means that I think that the church has lost the next generation. I don't think that's the case at all. What I mean is, I believe that there is hope that the next generation will step into the God-given calling that they have, they have been given by God. That they will actually step into it and lead and, and proclaim the gospel and find Christ 
in some deep moments of they, as they step into obedience. I got to watch three high school students step into their God-given calling. One you and I all have. God-given calling to proclaim God. And man, those kids killed it. It was amazing to watch them stand back and to engage in relationships and share the gospel. 14-year-olds, 18-year-olds, with as much boldness as any adult that I have ever met, shared Jesus. That is amazing. And they got to see Jesus work and they got to experience Jesus in a way that they can't just experience him through books and through stories. They followed Jesus in obedience and they found him there. And man, it was awesome. You don't have to go to Albania to do that. You just have to step into faithful obedience, even if it's uncomfortable. And you know what? It doesn't matter if you're 12 or 14 or 18 or 20 or 25 or 45 or 80 or 90. Step into places that Jesus has told you to go and you will find Jesus. You will find Jesus. You don't need a seminary degree. You don't even need a high school diploma. You just need to be faithful. Because here's the thing, and here's what I would say. To everyone in this room who has put their faith in Jesus, so to you 10-year-olds who have put your faith in Jesus, you 6-year-olds who have put their faith in Jesus, you 95-year-olds who have put your faith in Jesus, and everyone in between, you are a part of his body today, right now. And he has given you a calling, and he has given you a purpose, and he has given you gifts. Use them. We oftentimes in the church think, oh, well, we're just waiting to help our kids become the leaders in the next generation. No, no, guys, be the leaders now. Amen. You're 12. You can lead in your high schools. All you need to do is take a step of obedience. If you're 90, like you can lead now. You're not washed up. God has things for you. He's given you giftings and wisdom. Use them. Brothers and sisters, so often we can get paralyzed going like, well, I just don't know if it's the will of God. I'm not sure if this is what God has for me. And so we wait and we, we wonder and we, we ponder whether or not adopting a child or bringing a kid into our house to do foster care or um, sending our kids to a Christian school or stepping out and telling the grocery clerk, I don't even know if they call them that anymore, but... Nonetheless, like the person that works at the grocery store or Starbucks about Jesus or inviting someone to coffee or bringing your coworker over to your house uh, for dinner, uh, um, serving in the kids' ministry. And we go, I don't know if this is God's will. Listen, let me just ask a question. Do you think legitimately that God will ever shake his head at you and say, man, I'm really disappointed that you decided to help out the kids' ministry? That wasn't the will I had for you, son or daughter. I'm really disappointed. I know you weren't sure if you should go onto the Albania trip in 2023. And you went, and I'm really disappointed you did. Shame on you for going halfway across the world to tell someone about me. Brothers and sisters, he's for us. He's not against us. If you see an area in which you can be obedient to the calling Jesus has given to you, step into it. <clears throat> step into it. 
You don't need an open door. Knock the door over. And like, he's not going to be mad. I said this before in this room, like there's never been a time ever in the history of having my kids. And I've got one that's 22 and one that's six where they came up and they said, dad, I just cleaned my room, even though you didn't tell me to. And I went, you know what? Shame on you. (laughs) How could you possibly clean your room when I didn't tell you to? Brothers and sisters, Jesus doesn't always have to tell us to. He already has. He's already told us his heart. He's already told us what he wants us to do. Just step into it. And you know what you'll do? You'll find him there. You may find some difficulty. You may find some hardship. You might find someone persecutes you. You might find that it's difficult or or whatever. But you will also find more of him. Every time. Every time. So church, take a step. Be a light and you will find Jesus. It might be hard. It might even cause you to lose something. It will likely cost you something. But isn't he worth it? Isn't he? Can we say amen to that? So I want to close with a challenge this morning. What step of faithful obedience will you take? So this morning you may have realized that, man, you're chasing some carrots. And you see, man, I'm chasing this carrot, or I'm chasing that carrot, or I've gone way down the path of those carrots, and I'm in a really bad spot. Will you take a step of bringing that into the light and being able to realize you're not alone? Will you take a step of obedience to let the church help carry that burden with you? Maybe that's where you need to take a step this morning. I said this morning that relationship trumps everything. Do you need to take a step towards relationships? Maybe you're alone. Maybe you're not tied to anything within the church. Maybe all you need to do this morning is take a step towards a gospel life class. Maybe you need to take a step towards a relationship with your neighbor. Relationships matter. Talking about the gospel, mattering. Do you need to take a step towards being reminded of the value of the gospel in your own heart? Do you need to take a step towards actually verbally proclaiming the gospel, which is the power unto salvation with somebody that you know that doesn't know Jesus? Maybe that's the step. Maybe it's another type of step. We've already got dates for the trip to Albania next year. In 2023, if you want to sign up for that, you can do so right outside in the lobby after the sanctuary, after the service. And you can go to the missions wall and you can sign up for, on that sheet and we can give you information as to what that looks like. Donnie and the rest of the team will call you and they'll set up a time to let, make sure you can hear all of the different opportunities that we've got. Maybe it's taking a step to serve in the church. I can't tell you what the step needs to be. I can't. I wish I could. But I can say this, I don't think that there is a single person in this room, including myself, that could truly say they don't need to take some step. Some step. And I would encourage you to do that this morning. Take a step. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ. Maybe you've never taken a step towards Jesus. 
Maybe you're like one of those kids in Albania where, and you're just full of all kinds of doubts and questions and you don't know what this is all about. And maybe you've got a whole lot of like, maybe frustrations towards the church. Maybe you've seen the church do some really bad things. If you experience that in your family and you want to talk to somebody about that, like we want to talk to you, not to convert you. We want to, we want to point you to Jesus. That's the thing about the gospel. It's not about ideas and concepts about God. It's about introducing you to Jesus. So maybe that's you this morning. We're going to sing a song of closure, a song of response. And I just want to offer you and invite you to respond. Take a practical step. If you don't know Christ or you want prayer, we're going to have pastors and elders up at the front here to just pray with you, to talk with you this morning as we sing. If you're not comfortable coming down, you can text anytime with your phone. Just text Jesus to that number that's on the screen, and then we'll send you out a form, and then we'll get that form, and we'll reach out to you within 24 hours, and we'll follow up. And if you just want to grab coffee, someone's going to grab coffee with you. But don't leave this morning without being willing to take a step, some step. Pray with me. Father, thank you for just an experience to be able to step outside of the norm, um, to step outside of my own comfort zones, to step outside of the day-to-day routines that I get so trapped in and the ruts that I build in my own lives, in my own life, Lord. And I thank you for the privilege of that and the opportunity to just see you open my eyes to some things and just remind me of some things. And I pray, Lord, that as I share these this morning, these are things of your word. I pray, Father, that that if there's anything that I said this morning that's of me, like, there's no power in that. There's no hope in that. But, Father, if they're of you, then you're leading us to something. Life. You want us to be more conformed to the image of your Son. You want us to experience more life in you. You want us to know you more and to walk in a deeper walk with you and a relationship with you. And so... Father, I pray that by your spirit, you would just open up eyes this morning. I pray, Father, that you would not allow any heart to be hardened to the work of the spirit in them this morning. Father, I pray that you would grant boldness to just take a step. Just any step, whatever it is that you are calling them to. I pray, Father, that we would not leave today with hard hearts that we be given hearts of flesh. I pray, Lord, these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.